Amen. And good morning once again. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. I mean, what a powerful thought that though our sins mount up and pile up uh, to, to deserving so much wrath and so much judgment, as though they, they become bigger and deeper and greater, his mercy is more. His mercy is always more. What a beautiful truth. If you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is the study that we've been doing now for a few weeks. This will be the fourth week, uh, the Behold series. And it's all about beholding the glory of the Lord so that we might be transformed or grow in Him. And then to go out and reflect that glory. To go out and be uh, little human statues of God that people can see his glory in us by the ways that we imitate him and by the ways that we respond to his glory. This uh, sermon today will kind of be a little bit where the rubber hits the road because I, I began this series by you know, kind of telling you my frustration, if you remember, uh, that, that I was frustrated with myself. I was frustrated with how much biblical knowledge I had, how much biblical opportunity I had, how much biblical op uh, experience I had, yet still struggled with sin, yet still lacked zeal for God. And I say, come on, where is it at? What, what's missing here? And that's where this passage, uh, br God brought it to my mind. Okay, what's missing is, is this true transformation. Okay, how does this transformation take place? We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so that, that passage came to my mind, and I said, there it is. So maybe I've been doing all these things, getting all this biblical knowledge and biblical experience, yet I haven't truly been beholding the glory of the Lord and so the last three weeks before even embarking uh, and, you know, digging deep in that part, we kind of said, why? Why do we want to behold the glory of the Lord? Uh, I hope you were here for those, but if you weren't there, I'll, I'll go ahead and just give you quickly the three reasons why we should behold the glory of the Lord. First, it's a matter of worthiness. That is, God in and of his, himself is infinitely worthy of being beheld. He is infinitely glorious. He is surpassing in beauty. Any beauty you see on this earth is only a derived beauty. It came from him, from his mind, from his glory. And so God is infinitely worthy of beholding and nothing else even compares. The second thing we saw is God created us for the very purpose of beholding his glory and as we behold his glory, we reflect it. We stand in awe of him and his, his character, his works, and we reflect his glory to people around us. Again, that, the idea there is we, we live in light of who he is. We, we, we live in light of his glory, his, his, his power, his everything that we'll talk about in the coming weeks. And as we do that, other people look and see God's glory. They, they see how a person responds to God's glory and say, okay, there's something there. I want to know this God. Let your light so shine that people may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's basically what I'm saying here. But we were created 
for this. This is uh, what it means to be uh, fully made in the image of God. And we talked about this, that God made us in his image, uh, at least in part, to behold and reflect his glory. But that part was lost in sin because of sin. And then the third reason, so we just talked about that that purpose was lost, is transformation. While our purpose of beholding and reflecting the glory of God was lost because of sin, God graciously reverses those effects. He transforms us. He first does this in salvation when he says, just as in creation, let light shine on this earth. He says, let light shine in their hearts. That's, by the way, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 that he lets, um, let's see here, 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so that's what God does to us. God graciously says, okay, their eyes cannot see my glory And so just as he spoke light in creation, he speaks light into our lives, opens our blind eyes and says, see it. See the glory of Christ Jesus. Have salvation. Have new life. And then as we walk in this new life, we are transformed by beholding the glory of the Lord. Nothing else will do, friends. Nothing else will do. No amount of willpower, no amount of self-help books, no amount of just fear of punishment will change us to the people that we need to be, want to be, that God created us to be. It is only by beholding the glory of the Lord that we function properly in this world as beholders and reflectors of God's glory. And that's what makes our relationships work. That's what makes our lives work and brings God all the glory. And so there you go. It's a matter of worthiness. It's a matter of purpose. And it's a matter of transformation. We must behold the glory of the Lord. This is not a secondary issue in our lives. This is the primary thing for which we were created. That is why um, we have changed this church mission statement to, to revolve around this idea. Behold, grow, go. Behold the glory of God. Be transformed by it. That's grow. And then go out and reflect that glory in the world to those around you. We think this is is so fundamental that we have changed our church mission statement to reflect it. And so this this is God's wonderful plan for your lives, friends. That you behold his wondrous glory. That you are transformed by his wondrous glory. And that you reflect it in the world to those around you. And you, God is glorified in this, by the way. Others receive the greatest love. Because when you're reflecting the glory of the Lord, what are they beholding? The glory of the Lord. The very satisfying thing that they need and then we are finding our greatest joy as well as we do what we are created to do and find our satisfaction in God and so our question for today is this is why I say this is how where the rubber meets the road our question for today is okay if beholding the glory of the Lord is the key to all of this to, to my worship of God to my love of others and to my own joy if it is the key to all of this then how how do I behold his glory you know, I don't want to go too far into this, but I've, I've had a lot of conversations with people, either just through evangelism or just, you know, friendships or whatever, but people will tell me how they have their good relationship with God. And some people will tell me, well, to, to, to you know, do good for my spiritual life, I just need to go on a nature walk. That's what I really need. I'm not saying there's nothing there. 
Um, but I bet you you've heard this one, Dave. When I smoke pot, it makes me closer to God. I've heard that one multiple times with people I'm evangelizing. Uh, I, I, truly, that's what they say. This is, this is how I uh, see God. And so, <laughs> is that right? Is that what we need to do? Please, no one do the, <laughs> that. Uh, maybe go on the nature walk. That one's not inherently wrong. Anyways, um, so what is it that we need to do? What is it that we need to do? How, how can I, you know, simplify this? And, you know, uh, I, I, I hope I don't oversimplify these things, but I'm just going to be giving you general principles for what it is, how we behold the glory of God. So let's pray first before we dig into this study. Father God, would you help us to learn to see your glory? Would you help us to not just be readers of the Bible, attenders at a church, prayers before meals, but people who behold your glory and are astonished by it, are in awe of it and are transformed because of it. God, would you train us? Would you change the way we do our lives so that we might behold your glory? Oh God, we need your help in this. In our flesh, we can do nothing. God, but you are able. You can do anything. And if we've trusted in you, you've given us your spirit. Would you do this in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what attitudes and actions does it require to behold the glory of the Lord, at least to maximally behold his glory? That is what we will look at today. So number one, if you like to write things down. Oop, not on. There we go. I, I turned this on so you might be able to give me back control, but... All right, number one is this. Beholding requires dependence. Beholding requires dependence. And what I'm talking about is it requires that we depend on God for the ability to behold his glory. And we depend on God to be transformed by beholding that glory. Beholding requires dependence. That might seem like a strange thing for me to point out, but let me, let me explain. I think this is really, really important. Last week we talked about this, that the reason we must behold the glory of the Lord for transformation is if we look to ourselves for the power, we're only becoming more selfish and more self-centered, which is the very opposite of what we were created to do and created to be. And so, say, say you are to, to read your Bible and see the glory of the Lord in it, and you become proud. Ha! I've seen the glory of the Lord. This is wonderful. And maybe it even transforms the way you do something. Okay, this passage talked about giving, sacrificial giving of, of my, my money and my resources and my time. And so, you know what? I'm going to obey that. Then you go out and, you know, do, do a service ministry and put your money in the offering plate. And you say, wow, look at me. Look at, look at what I've done. Is that true transformation? <laughs> it's not. It is, it is actually counterproductive, right? The, the, the scribes and the Pharisees in the Old Testament were very uh, moral men, but they were self-righteous men, which made them godless men, right? 
And so we need to understand that beholding requires dependence. This is an attitude that we carry of dependence on God for, for beholding. God, help me to behold your glory. And then when it happens, God, thank you for letting me behold your glory. And then when we're transformed, I cannot believe that you would transform a sinner like me. Again, you think about uh, Jesus that uh, kind of talks about a parable of there are two men. One of them goes out into the, the street corner and prays like this. Oh God, thank you that I am not like this man. Then this other man who, who knows that he's a sinner says, God, I'm not worthy of you. And he beats his breast and Jesus says, which one of them goes justified? He says, well, clearly it's the one who sees his dependence on God. And, and that's what we want to be as those who say, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of, of seeing God's glory. I'm not worthy of being transformed by God's glory. And, and you know what? If it happens, even in the slightest, it was only by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to show you this. Um, we, we've read these passages many times. Uh, but, but we have here in verse 17. You can back up one verse. Verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I'll pause there for a moment. Freedom from what? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. I would say freedom from self. It is enslaving to, to be thinking about yourself, to be focused on yourself, to be so in love with yourself. It is enslaving. You could just give a, a, a kind of normal example, but would be self-consciousness. I think back in like my high school years, and I'm, I'm sure so, even some after that, but I was so self-conscious that I often like missed out on the fun that was going on. You know, you could be with, with a group of friends, and you're so worried about looking cool, myself looking cool, that I would hardly have any fun. You know, I'd be worried about, well, what's this girl think of me? Or, you know, what, like, I, I look back and I say, man, I wasted so much time thinking about me. But we do this in all our lives. That one's just like a really clear example. We do this in all of our lives. When, when we make our marriage about me, when we make going to church about me, when we make our work about me, it is enslavement. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And by the way, when we're focused on ourselves, we sin. That, that is uh, exactly what happens. That's what happened in the garden. Satan tempted Eve, and he did this by getting her to focus on herself, to take her eyes off of God, and then she transgressed the commands of God. And so this is freedom from self and freedom from sin. This is brought on. This is enabled by the Holy Spirit. And then we see again in our, in our passage, our verse that we've been uh, re reading and studying, verse 18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so you have repetition. Verse 17 says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And then you have verse 18 says, this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That repetition shows importance, that we need to notice, take note that this is the Spirit doing uh, th this transformation. This is the Spirit allowing us to behold and again, this is so important because if we get proud, if we get proud of our beholding and proud of our transformation, it will actually be counterproductive. It will make us worse off than we began. But the question then is, well, okay, so if it's the Spirit's work, does that mean that I just sit around and hope that I become transformed? Like, 
that it just happens? Do I, you know, uh, sleep on my Bible and then osmosis happens and I, I become transformed and I, I'm just beholding the glory? Is, is that what happens? No, it is not. It is the Spirit who works in our lives, but the Spirit uh, works in our lives alongside of us. Let me just show you this in a couple passages. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, listen to this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, so they're to do something. Is that forgetting about the Spirit's work? That, that, it's, that we have to be dependent on the Spirit? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So Paul's point there in Philippians 2 is, it is actually because you have the Spirit, that you, because you have God the Spirit working in you, that you are to work out your salvation, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It is because you have the Spirit in you that you can actually boldly work out your, your salvation, knowing that He will be doing the work in you. Another passage that may be helpful with this is uh, Galatians 5.25. It says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, so, okay, this is a dependency. I live by the Spirit. I couldn't behold. I couldn't be transformed. I couldn't reflect God's glory without the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the of the Spirit. What, what, what are those passages saying? Walk in step with the Spirit. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Well, well, the idea here is, yes, it is the Holy Spirit who enables us to behold the glory of God and be transformed by it, but He does so as we, we look to the places, as we look to the glory of God. The Spirit wants to reveal the glory of, of the Lord to you, but we need to set our minds on the things that will help us behold his glory. Say, well, what are those? Well, we think of, of kind of the, the spiritual disciplines, and we'll get into these more in a moment. But God's word would just be a wonderful place to, to, to look. We remember, who, who, who wrote the Bible? Well, people wrote the Bible, but they did so as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then it is the Spirit who helps us to understand the things of God. We cannot understand the things of God, Paul says to the Corinthians, but the Spirit makes known to us the things of God. The Spirit wants to reveal God's glory in God's Word. And that leads me to my next point. So I want you to remember, though, before I hit this clicker, dependence. This, you cannot take credit for this. You take responsibility for beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed but you cannot take credit for it. It is a, something that we do in dependence. But, number two, beholding requires discipline. Beholding requires discipline. I would say almost every important thing in our lives requires some level of discipline. 
If you, if you want to have a good marriage, it's going to require discipline. If you want to be good at guitar or piano, you, it requires discipline, right? If you, if you want to be a, a good construction worker, it requires discipline. If you want to be a good accountant, it requires discipline. If you want to be a good parent, all these things require some level of discipline, that I will do things in a certain way, and I will repetitively do them and so, until I gain mastery over those things. And I would say, to behold the glory of the Lord requires discipline. It requires that we set aside time. It requires that we uh, engage energy and set out to do this thing over and over again. And so what I want to talk to you about now are what are called the spiritual disciplines. These are often known as the spiritual disciplines. And these are the things that God has given us to do that we might behold his glory and be transformed by it. So, so they're spiritual in that they are God-given and they are spirit-transforming, but they are disciplines in that it takes energy, it takes work, it takes time to do these things. We must be disciplined and we must actually do them or the beholding and the transforming will not take place. I, I really won't spend too long here because I, I think you guys know these things. Often it is not for lack of knowledge that we don't do these things. But I, I just want to impress upon you that there are these spiritual disciplines God has given us that we must do for the Spirit to work. To, to walk in step with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit. To set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We must do these spiritual disciplines. So I'll just list some of those for you. That's not, this won't even be an exhaustive list. Uh, but these are some of the major ones. You have prayer. Right? This, this, what we talk to God. Prayer is a spiritual discipline, something we must set about do, set aside time and do, and then actually pray continually throughout the day. Uh, Paul says, uh, pray without ceasing. I would say next is Bible study. Bible study can be Bible reading, it can be digging into passages, it can be listening to passages and, and, and hearing them exposited or, or whatever. Bible study. We must give ourselves to this. Actually, I want to take back hearing it for you guys. Because I know we got some kids in here, but most of you can read. <laughs> read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. And you can even listen to it in audio form too. But I would say, pick up your Bible and read it. God has given us his word. 66 books. This is huge. This may be one of the biggest books that I own. And all of it, God has given to us for our instruction. We have memorization would be another one, Bible memorization. I think uh, we see this pattern, especially in the Psalms, that we can uh, uh, store up his words in our heart. We memorize God's words. And I believe that we can memorize God's word because it will intensify this next spiritual discipline, which is meditation on God's word. Has it ever seemed strange to you as you're reading the Psalms and he says, I, I meditate on your laws day and night, and you're just like, I mean, are you pulling out a candle in the middle of the night and, and, and looking on at God's words so that you can meditate on No, he simply has the words memorized. And so he's thinking over uh, God's word and meditating on it. But meditation, I'll just tell you, is, is, is saturating yourself in the truths of God. It, it, it's letting yourself... Uh, my my uh, spiritual disciplines professor, uh, or spiritual formation professor, used to talk about it like a, a cup of tea, right? 
if you take a, a tea bag and put it in the warm water and then just pull it right back out, I mean, it'll actually taste worse. <laughs> the water will taste a little bit worse, uh, not better. Because why? It just, barely, it just barely got a superficial dip in there. What meditation is, is putting that tea bag in there and letting it stay there. And maybe twirling that bag around or using your spoon to push on it a little bit. I like my tea to have full flavor, so I do those things. Uh, I may, maybe use two tea bags. I don't know. Revealing too much. But this, this is what meditation is. It's, it's letting the, the, the flavor, the, the color of your life be changed by God's word rather than just a superficial dip in and out. That is what meditation is. And we can do that better the more we study God's word. We can do that better the more we memorize God's word. We can think on it. Another one would be fasting. Fasting is, is simply uh, not eating food for the sake of of knowing more of God. We are hungering for God rather than food. It's a kind of an outward symbol of that, but we, as, as we're uh, fasting, we just feel this, this need. We recognize our need that like, oh, I'm hungry right now, and, and it reminds us to hunger for God, and it reminds us of the God who gives us the food that we need to survive. There's more to fasting. I don't have time, obviously, to go through all of these things, Another one I would say that is a spiritual discipline, and there's really a whole category under this one, would be fellowship. Fellowship, that is coming together with other believers. I would say unless you are in prison or stranded on a desert island, uh, or maybe even in missions in a jungle with just you and your family, you should be fellowshipping with other believers. That is a spiritual discipline that you actually have to set out and do this spiritual discipline of fellowship, coming together. It can be in corporate worship such as this, or it can be small groups, or it can even just be friends meeting together to talk about the Lord with the, 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 this purpose of talking about the Lord. And then I would even say generous giving. Generous giving is a spiritual discipline that we, we set aside the first fruits of our harvest, just meaning our paychecks or whatever, and, and we, we give it to the Lord and we give it to others and we are generous about it. All of these, again, are spiritual disciplines because they are given to us by God, right? So that's dependence. We didn't think up these disciplines. God gave them to us. And by the way, I would be careful about some of the so-called spiritual disciplines that are out there, like walk in circles and stuff. Th those are Eastern uh, practices. That, again, I can't go too far into it, but we've got to be careful about some of the ones that are not biblical uh, spiritual disciplines that could lead us astray. But these are given to us by God, but then they take actual discipline. And I, I, I'm never wanting to guilt people, you know, in, into anything. But I'd say, are, are you doing these things? Are you doing these things? Are you, are you picking up your Bibles? Are you praying? Are you meditating on God's Word? Are you memorizing God's Word? Are you fasting? Are you meeting together with Christians? If you're standing here or sitting here, you are. Uh, but, but these are things that we have to be disciplined about. Sometimes we are so afraid of legalism that, that we don't turn to the Lord and actually do things, use the means that he has given us to behold his glory. We do all of this independence on him, but we are disciplined to do these things. Okay, here is actually the main point of my sermon, okay? Those other ones, I think you know. But I think they needed reminding and, and needed encouraging for us to do it. But here is the point of my sermon. Number three, beholding requires deliberateness. Beholding requires 
deliberately, intentionally, intensely seeking to behold the glory of the Lord. You say, well, isn't that the same thing as discipline? No, it is not. There are many people, many religious people who are very disciplined about doing the spiritual disciplines and yet behold little, if any, of the glory of the Lord. Because they are not deliberate about searching for the glory of the Lord. They're, they're, they're again, looking uh, for, for self-help. They're looking for moral improvement rather than the glory of the Lord. Let me see here. Um, I'll just give you uh, an example real quick. John 5, verses 39 to 40. Jesus says this to the Pharisees, very religious people in the Bible. They really did their spiritual disciplines. He says this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So what's Jesus saying there? He's saying, you guys study the scriptures. You, you, you know the law. You literally memorize the entire Torah. And, and this is like just so in you. And yet you're missing all the glory. Because who is the glory of God's word is Jesus. We're going to dig into this more in just a moment. But if you're not seeing the glory of Jesus in God's word, you're missing everything. You can do it all. You can do all the spiritual disciplines but miss all that really matters. I can. Uh, I guess I'll just keep giving you these examples I've got here. Uh, prayer. You can, you can pray, absolutely pray, uh, without doing it to, to, to seek the glory of the Lord. Uh, Matthew 6, verses 5 to 7, Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who sees in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Then he says in the next verse, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Okay, so he gave two examples there. The religious Jews who love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners praying these grand prayers, the purpose of their prayers was to be seen as religious by others. And that, that was pointless. I think of, for us, this may be the, the perfunctory uh, prayer before meals. It'll, it'll be taboo if I don't do it, so I better throw up a quick, God, thank you for this food. Bless us today. <laughs> Make this fried chicken somehow healthy for us. You know, like we, we, but that's, that's what we do. It's just this, I want to be seen by others as godly, so I'm not going to eat before the prayer. It has nothing to do with, with God, truly, in those moments. So we can absolutely pray without seeing the glory of God. Then, then it, the next one is the Gentiles. It says, they heap up empty phrases, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And so us, we can, we can pray very long, very extended prayers, thinking that we'll somehow earn God's favor, that we'll somehow twist his arm into doing what we want. But really, from, from us, it'll just be empty phrases. We're just piling it on as, as much as we can, hoping that God will listen. For fellowship, uh, the Corinthian church that, we're, that we get this passage from, our, our 2 Corinthians 3.18, uh, the Corinthian church is a great example of how fellowship can be done wrongly, aren't they? 
They, they weren't seeing much of the glory of the Lord, but they were coming together a lot. But we remember that they were proud. They were, they were proud people. That when they came together, there was division. I'll read for you 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen 17, uh, and 18. Uh, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. <laughs> for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. He says, you guys are so proud and self, so self-centered that you come together so worried about what you look like and so worried about your little clique of friends that there are actually divisions in your church. It's not for the better, it's for the worse when you guys fellowship. So you're doing the spiritual discipline of fellowship, but it's actually for the worse because you're still focused on yourself. You're focused on your little group, of, your little clique of friends. Then he even goes on to talk about the Lord's Supper. <clears throat> he says uh, in verse 20 of chapter 11, When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And so what he's talking about there is just the, the pleasures of church. So these people, they would be doing so-called communion. Of course, he says you are not taking the Lord's Supper by the way you're doing this. But they would come together and they would just eat all this food. They, they'd enjoy it. But then you'd have this poor person who couldn't afford food and couldn't afford drink. And they would just be thirsty and hungry. He says that's not fellowship. That's not fellowship with one another. And it's certainly not communion uh, with, with God. And so I think of us, I've kind of got to turn that here. They were worried about the pleasures of eating and drinking, but we can't simply come to church for the pleasures of of, of singing, the pleasures of of maybe hearing a a nice speech, even the pleasures of seeing one another. Those aren't the point of fellowship. So we must be deliberate. All of those were examples of the fact that we can miss it. I want to uh, show you, or I'll just read it for you. Um, I, I asked uh, Brother Dave, Pastor Dave, to um, do the reading this morning of 2 Corinthians 3.18 and to do it from a different version than I normally use. I normally use the ESV, uh, but in uh, translations such as the NASB, the CSB, um, I can't remember which other ones. What's that? Oh yeah, New King James Version, that's right. Um, here is how it words... Um, this verse, and it's, it is reflecting the Greek better. It really is. This is really in the Greek. Second Corinthians 3.18 from any of those translations would say it like this, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. We all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So I'll tell you, my translation just says, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. But in the Greek, it really does use this phrase, as in a mirror. And here's what I think, so I try not to condemn (laughs) the ESV translators for leaving it out. The reason I think that they leave it out, as well as uh, several other translations, is this is hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to understand as in a mirror, because when we think about looking in a mirror, we think about seeing our own reflection. We think about what we see in the mirror, but that is not what Paul is talking about. 
Paul's not looking at what we're seeing in the mirror, but how we look into a mirror. Okay, and again, we gotta, we got to work through this to explain it. Mirrors in our day are incredible, right? When you look into a mirror, you see reality. You see what is really there. I know there are some mirrors out there that are so good at showing you what's really there, right? These magnifying mirrors that I don't like them. I don't want to see what my face really looks like that close up, right? Um, but that, that's what we deal with, and that's why this is hard for us to understand. But they did not have that kind of mirror uh, back in the first and second century. They, they didn't have th this, this perfect uh, glass mirror like we have. What they had was polished metal. So they, they take a chunk of metal, flatten it out, and then kind of try to polish it up as best they can. And so it might be helpful for you to think of like, okay, take a, uh, a piece of saran wrap. No, not saran wrap. What, aluminum foil. There we go. Take a piece of aluminum foil and hold it up. And you can kind of see a reflection. It'd probably reflect a little better than that. But in order to see it, you had to really look. Okay? So in, in Paul's day, to look into a mirror, you had to be deliberate about looking in order to see reality. You had to be intentional about what you're looking at in order to see. We see this, uh, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Paul says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. So he's saying one day we'll see God face to face. We'll see him as he really is. We'll see him clearly. But right now we see dimly, just like we see in a mirror. We can't see very well in our mirrors. That's, that's what he's saying. And then we see it again in James 1.23. Again, this is just to teach you this mirror principle. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. So th that's how a person looks. They look intently in order to see reality. And so I would tell you, listen to this, please. This is the whole point of this, today's sermon. You can do the spiritual disciplines, but if you're not looking intently, not looking deliberately to see the glory of the Lord, to behold his awesome wonder, you can miss it. Just like the Pharisees did, just like the Corinthian church did, you can miss it. We must be deliberate. And I've told you guys uh, kind of all along, if we, we get this Behold series, what's going on here, it will change the way you do everything. It will change the way you do all of life, but it will begin with the way that you do the spiritual disciplines. You will be disciplined about it, yes, but you will be deliberate about seeing the glory of the Lord in it. I think about all these things, and I, I kind of have a rule kind of a rule that if I don't see God's glory <laughs> when I read a pat like I'm studying my Bible, I'll, I'll go to a passage that I know that I'll see it clearly. And I really do that. Usually it's a Ephesians 1 or 2. I just, I, I just see so much glory in one of those passages, but there are many places I go. But when I open my Bible, I seek to see God's glory. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, verses 174 and 75, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you and let your rules help me. He's talking about your law, your rules. He's talking about God's word. He says, I long for your salvation. My soul, uh, let my soul live to praise you. He says, let me do this as I look to your word. And I would even mention this um, as, we, as we think about the Bible, studying the Bible. So we're just talking about the Bible right now. When you open your Bibles, 
your goal isn't just to check off your list, okay, I read my Bible today, I studied it, I'm, you know, your goal is to see the glory of the Lord. And I would say that the place that the glory of God is most on display, most clearly seen, is in the gospel. And the only place we see the gospel, hear the gospel, read the gospel is God's word. And so we open God's word and we look for the gospel in it. You say, well then I I can only be in like, you know, four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. No. Think about it. The whole Old Testament was pointing to this one who would come. Genesis 1, creation, uh, Genesis 1 and 2, creation, and then Genesis 3, the fall, as well as there will be this one, the offspring of the woman. You, Satan, will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. And that's the rest of the Old Testament, working out the coming of this Savior. He he does this through Abraham. He does this through uh, Moses. He does this through Israel. Until finally, yes, we do come to the gospel. So by the whole Old Testament, you can be looking for God, uh, for, for, for the glory of God in the gospel. And, and you can find the glory of God in many other ways in the Old Testament, by the way. You see his power, right, in the Exodus. You see uh, just his wisdom in, in, in the Proverbs. You see just so much glory of God. You see how, how relational he is in the Psalms. We look for God's glory on every page, and I say we always bring it back to the gospel. This is a principle I'm, I'm passionate about. Because when we see this powerful God in the Exodus, we have to look to the gospel, right? We say, I could have been crushed just like the Egyptians. That's what I deserve. Yet God has chosen me, just like his people Israel, to make it through the Red Sea unscathed. We look to the gospel. God, that's only true because of what Christ has done. We think about this relational God from the Psalms. And we say, I can't believe that I can relate to this God. My, my sins had made a chasm between me and him, but he has brought us together by the blood of the cross. He has reconciled us. So you, you can always bring it back to the gospel. That's what we open our Bibles to do. And I would say don't close it until it has happened, that you see the glory of God put on display, his beauty, his power, his majesty. Look for it when you open your Bibles. Let this change the way you read your Bible. What about prayer? I've got an extended version of what I want to say here, but <laughs> I'll, keep it, I'll keep it short. Jesus, uh, I'll just read it for you. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's the very first thing we are to pray. There's obviously more in the Lord's prayer. But what's that talking about? What's what's Jesus saying people need to pray for? Well, someone's name is their reputation, uh, what, what people think of them. And hallowed is to to honor, to revere, to be in awe of someone. And so we're praying, God, let your reputation be honored and revered. And I would say this, we we certainly can pray that in a general sense. Oh God, let your name be honored, your reputation be honored. 
that's good, and I think that's part of it, but I think we would be missing a very important aspect if we didn't realize that prayer is also for ourselves. God, let your name be honored in my life. Let me see you and be in awe of you. Let me see your wondrous works and just fall in humility and joy. God, help me to do this. When we think about uh, the psalmist, he does this. He says, uh, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your way. So he says, don't, don't let me behold all these worthless earthly things, God. And then we see in Psalm 119.18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. God, God, please help me. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. That may be sinful things, but it may just be distracting things. God, turn my eyes from, from looking at those things and help me to behold wondrous things in your law. I think that's a perfect prayer before we open God's word and, and, and each time we study it. We need to pray not just that God would bless us, not just that God would keep us safe. Those are good things to pray for. But Jesus began with, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so we too, when we pray, we need to be intentional. We need to be, what's my word? The D word? <laughs> deliberate. We need to be deliberate about saying, God, help me to see your glory. Remember, the flesh can't do it on its own. We need God's help. And so we are deliberate to pray for this to happen. We memorize scripture. I'm just giving you quick examples. We memorize scripture, at least in part, so we don't do things that keep us from beholding his glory. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. I, I want you, God, he's saying. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you see that? I seek you. I want to behold you. And so I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We memorize God's word, at least in part, so that we can do war. Pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It helps keep us from sin. helps keep us from believing the lies of the enemy and the lies of our flesh. That's why we memorize scripture, but also so we can meditate on it, so we can think on it. Psalm 63, 5 through 8. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of, of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Do you hear that? Don't you want that, your soul, to sing for joy? Well, he's saying here, I meditate you. I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. We need to be disciplined about meditating on God, but it will feel pointless. What am I just going to do, list the attributes of God in my head? No, think about the glory of God, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Your right hand upholds me. He's thinking about the glory of God. He's meditating on the glory of God. And that is why he will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And his mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Friends, your thought life really matters. 
your thought life really matters. And again, there are plenty of sinful routes our thoughts can go. Things that we should not be thinking on. More material things, lustful things, hateful things, greedy things. We can think on those things, but even just neutral things. We should not always give our minds to the next sports event that's going to come up. We should not always give our minds to what work we have going on. We should not always give our minds to our hobbies and things like that. We need to be disciplined, right? That was number two. Disciplined to set our minds on God. Disciplined to set our minds on God. And then we need to be, man, deliberate. (laughs) I'll put this here so I can see it a little better. We need to be deliberate about when we're setting our minds on God, saying, I'm going to think about him and I'm going to find, I'm going to dig for his glory that I might have joy and I might be satisfied in him. I mean, we, we can do this for every one of these. Uh, I'm, I'm going to stop there. We, but, you know, we, we fast, again, longing for more of God. We gather together uh, trying to pr- display God to one another so we can rejoice together and we minister to one another and we sing together to this great God and we give generously so that we can see the glory of God and still providing for our every need even though we gave. In all of these ways, We must be deliberate. We must be intentional about seeking the glory of God as we do our spiritual disciplines. That is what it is to walk in step with the Spirit. That's what it is to be filled with the Spirit because it is is the Spirit's desire to help you behold the glory of the Lord and be transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. I do want to say this, though. It is not just your spiritual disciplines that will change if you do this. It will begin with your spiritual disciplines, but it will change everything. When you begin to to, to be good about being disciplined, about being uh, deliberate, about seeking God's glory, you'll start to see God everywhere. When you are intentional about seeking God's glory, you'll be amazed about how much you will begin seeing God's glory. The more your heart becomes inclined to seeking God's glory, you'll be able to walk outside and you'll really see that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. You'll actually see that rather than just a pretty sky and a nice tree and you'll actually see the glory of God. When you go to work, you'll see that God is providing for you in that work and that you're getting to serve him in that work and that you're getting opportunities to reflect him in that work and you'll behold his glory in those things. As you parent your children, you'll see these gifts, these blessings that God has given you, his handiwork. When you're doing the the menial chores, right, the the sweeping, the raking, the dusting, the, the dishes, You you can behold the God who gave you the, the arms, the muscles, the ligaments, the mind to do these tasks. And what happens when when you see parenting and work and uh, going outside and leisure in this paradigm of, of, of seeking the glory of the Lord? You'll begin reflecting the glory of the Lord in the way that you go about all of those things. You'll begin parenting as one who now stewards these children that, that, that they need to see the authority of God. Yes, we teach his laws, but we also reflect his character by, by, we want to reflect his compassion, his mercy, his grace, even as we teach them that you cannot break the rules. 
we begin to reflect that. We reflect the patience of God, the kindness of God. When we go to work, we work diligently as unto the Lord, knowing that He is our true Master. And again, we can do this for, for, for every aspect of life, but there's one more thing I want to mention here for this reflecting. I don't want you to miss it. It's, it's not just doing, it's also speaking. One of the main ways we can reflect, that we can project the glory of God is to talk about Him with others. And the more you behold His glory, the less you'll be able to be quiet about Him. The more you behold His glory, the more excited you'll be to talk about Him. Just like you get excited about, you know, the, that football game that went well or that cool thing you saw. When you start seeing the cool thing of God, His greatness, His glory, you will want to talk about Him with others. And most importantly, you'll want to share His glory in the gospel. He created us. His power. We sinned against Him. Terrible. We deserve His judgment. Yet he makes a way of salvation through Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, and only by believing on him, not by earning this salvation, we believe on him, what he has accomplished, and we can be saved. That is glorious, and we reflect his glory, and you will be so much more inclined to reflect that glory if you're actually beholding his glory. It is really hard to give something that you're not receiving, isn't it? It's hard to give a love for the glory of God if you're not falling more and more in love with it. So this is why we have changed our church mission statement to this behold, grow, go paradigm. And it is good for our church. We need this to funnel every ministry through that paradigm. Are we beholding the glory of God? Are we putting him on display? Is this something that will help our people to grow in him? Is this something that will encourage them to go out and reflect God's glory that's good for our church, but remember, this is, this is the only reason it's a, our church mission statement is because it should be your life mission statement. That you seek to behold the glory of God, to grow in Him, that is to be transformed, and to go out and reflect His glory. And so remember, you, you must have an attitude of dependence. Yes, the Spirit is the one who does this. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. But you do something. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is He who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And we do that as we discipline ourselves to do the spiritual disciplines that God has given us. But as we do them, we don't waste our time. Don't waste your time reading God's Word and praying and meditating and memorizing and fellowshipping. Don't waste your time doing those things. While you're doing them, be deliberate, be intentional about seeking God's glory and God will do it. I think about uh, in Luke, I forget where it is. I think it's 11. Anyway, uh, Jesus says, uh, Which of you, fathers, parents, if your child asks, for you, asks you for a fish, will give him a serpent? Or if he asks for a piece of bread, you'll give him a stone? No, your father knows and loves to give you good gifts. He says he will uh, give the Spirit to those who ask for it. And I, I would say that that's what we need to do, to be praying, God, help me to walk in step with the Spirit. Help me to behold His glory and know that He wants to give it to you. God's not being a jerk, saying, nope, I'm going to hide it from them. God wants you to behold His glory. He wants you to be transformed by it. He wants you to reflect it. And so now we can come even in prayer and ask God to do this in our lives. Let's bow in prayer, then 
uh, Pastor Dave will come up. Father God, let this message reach deep into our hearts. Please do not let it roll off. God, don't let us be like the passage in James that we read, 123, that a man can be a hearer of the word but not a doer, that he can look intently in a mirror but then go off and forget what he looks like. God, let us not forget what we've learned today, that we need to be dependent on you for our transformation, but we need to be intentional and disciplined about seeking your glory. And God, let us not just open our Bibles and attend church. God, let us seek you where you may be found to, to uncover and dig for the riches of your glory. To always see the gospel in the pages. To sing those glories, Lord. God, would you change everything in our lives? Would you change the trajectory of our lives as we learn to behold your glory? to be transformed by it, and to go out and reflect your glory so that others can see it and behold your glory as well. God, we want this. We don't want to just be a little club of people who meet together and sing songs and read a book. We want to behold your glory. Would you do this in our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.